Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp. And I'm Cécile Mitoire. And we are your hosts. Today we'll be speaking with Professor Lajos Kamenyi on his research with acral lentiginous melanoma, vitiligo, and xenon chloride lasers, atopic dermatitis, and psoriasis. But first... EADV Live will host a webcast, New Developments in Pathogenesis and Therapy of Psoriasis, with Professor Louis Puig, on the 23rd of June at 2 p.m. Central European Summer Time. For more information on how to watch it live and even ask questions to the speaker, go to www.eadv.org under Education. The EADV is funding a clinical fellowship program to support the clinical training of residents or recently qualified dermatologists and venereologists who are setting up a new service or practice in a high-quality European clinical center. The purpose is to provide clinical observational experience in a department with recognized expertise in a specific field. Junior dermatologists and venereologists that are still training or recently qualified can gain valuable experience by observing clinical practice, service structures, or specific techniques at a hosting clinic. For more information, go to www.eadv.org. The application deadline is the 31st of July. And now... Professor Lajos Kemeni is the director of the Department of Dermatology and Allergology, University of Szeged, Hungary, and group leader of Hungarian Center of Excellence for Molecular Medicine Skin Research Group. He served as board member of the ESDR and EADV. Currently, he is a section editor of the JADV. His main research interest is translational medicine, and his inventions on various areas in dermatology are covered by 39 patents. We are happy to have him here today. Welcome, Professor Kemeny. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's a great honor and pleasure for me to be here with you. We would like to start the interview with discussing your recent article published in the JEADV entitled Acral Lentigenous Melanoma, a single-center retrospective review of four decades in East Central Europe. It is in the top 5% of all research outputs scored by Outmetric, having generated many conversations on social media. What do we know about the prevalence, prognosis, pathogenesis, and genetic background of acral lentigenous melanoma? Yeah, first of all, let me tell you a few words about the characteristics of acral lentigenous melanoma. Acral lentigenous melanoma is actually characterized by two important uh, features. One is the localization under acral areas, and the second one, that it has a special histopathology. What does it mean, the acral areas? Of course, everybody knows that it affects the palms and soles and fingers and toes and the nail unit. As concerns the histopathology, it is characterized by a diffuse proliferation of large atypical melanocytes along the dermapidermal junction in a lentigenous growth pattern. As concerns the prevalence, in Caucasians, the acral lentigenous melanoma is a rare subtype of cutaneous melanoma, accounting around 3% of all cutaneous melanoma cases. However, it has a much higher proportion of prevalence in non-Caucasians, such as in Asians and Africans, but it accounts over 50% of all melanoma cases. The prognosis of acral lentigenous melanoma is relatively poor. The five-year overall survival rate is in between 
70 to 75%, whereas the 10-year survival rate is around 50%. It is supposed that this poor prognosis is probably due to the considerable delay in the diagnosis and treatment. Factors contributing to this delay might include the age of the patient, hidden localization, unusual clinical presentation, low public awareness, but also misdiagnosis and mistreatment by healthcare professionals, especially when pigment is absent. The pathogenesis and genetic background of this uh, clinical subtype of melanoma is different. Ultraviolet radiation does not play a role in acral lentigenous melanoma pathogenesis. Activating BRAF and NRAS mutations are less frequent, whereas KIT mutations are somewhat more common, up to 30%. Could you tell us about the aim of the study, the sample and the methods used? Yeah, since there are only a few studies involving different skin types for acral lentigenous melanoma, and at the time of our publication, there were no studies available for Central Eastern Europe, my colleagues Esther Baltas and Ildiko Chani wanted to study the demographic and clinical histopathological features and survival rates of patient diagnosed acral lentigenous melanoma in my department to understand further this rare subtype. We performed a retrospective study in patients with diagnosed with acral lentigenous melanoma over a 40-year period. We investigated nearly 25,000 histopathology reports and included patients with melanoma located under acral areas. Patients having melanoma at an acral location, but not an acral lentigenous histopathological subtype were excluded from the study. In this 40 years period, close to 4,500 patients were diagnosed with cutaneous melanoma in our center. And among them, we founded 176 patients with histologically conferred acral lentigenous melanoma. What does this study add to our existing knowledge about ALM? Although there was a dramatic increase in superficial splitting melanoma, resulting in 10 times higher yearly incidence of cutaneous melanomas in the recent years, for acral lentigenous melanoma, we diagnosed nearly the same number of cases in each year and each decade, also suggesting that ultraviolet light does not play a role in the pathogenesis of acrylantigenous melanoma. Furthermore, in the last 40 years, we did not find any significant change in the tumor thickness or in the age of the patient at the time of the diagnosis. The mean age of the patient at the diagnosis was 66 years, and 90% of the tumors were found on the lower extremities and the soles and heels. The mean tumor thickness was 3.8 millimeter, and 37% of the tumors were thicker than 4 millimeter. Microscopic ulceration occurred in 72% of the cases. The five-year disease-specific survival rate for patients with T1 tumor was 92%, whereas in patients with T4 tumors, was 28%. The age, the gender, the tumor thickness, the clot level, the ulceration, the positive sentinel lymph node, positive nodal status, and the presence of distant metastasis were associated with worse prognosis. The delay between the time the patient noticed the tumor and the time the diagnosis was extremely variable and ranged from one month to 10 years. 
with a mean time of 18 months. You cannot imagine, but approximately half of the patients waited more than one year after noticing the skin lesion before seeking medical help. In conclusion, we found that despite the improvement in early diagnosis of melanoma and improved public awareness in general, acral lentigenous melanoma in our region remains a subtype of melanoma that is diagnosed with high breast load tumor thickness and advanced stage. Therefore, we would like to emphasize the importance of early diagnosis of acral lentigenous melanoma by increasing disease awareness through education and prevention programs. If I can just jump in, why was there a delay? Why, why did people wait so long? Do we have uh, any anecdotal information about that? Yeah, actually, uh, the delay is, is clear. There is a misdiagnosis. The patient supposed that this is actually nothing, just a bleeding or just some discoloration, just some kind of pigment. And many times it is supposed that it is a verruca. And even healthcare providers, even dermatologists think that uh, this is just a verruca vulgaris, a viral infection and in a, a hyperkeratotic area. And these uh, uh, patients are treated as they would have uh, other kind of uh, disease, or simply the patients suppose that this is just a small verruca, small virus infection, small nothing actually. Mm, and and uh, this is the reason why they come to the doctor so late. How can the outcomes be used to increase disease awareness? Yeah, I think that the yearly organized melanoma days are usually a very good opportunity to raise, uh, in general, awareness to this uh, dangerous disease. I think that the yearly organized melanoma day should once be dedicated to acral lentigenous melanoma to raise public awareness in this melanoma subtype. Uh, what do you think about the reason behind this article receiving so high attention on social media? So I think that there's much less is known about the epidemiology, pathogenesis, and genetics of acral lentigenous melanoma compared to the other more frequently occurring subtypes of melanoma. And probably this resulted a high attention in the social media. Now let's jump into another area of your research. World Vitiligo Day, uh, June 25th, 2021 this year, is an initiative aimed to build global awareness about this condition, causing disfiguring white patches of depigmentation that can have significant negative psychosocial impact on patients. What is vitiligo and, and what are its current treatment options? Yeah, vitiligo is the most common depigmenting disorder and the worldwide prevalence is around 1-2% to with great, great geographical variation. The disease is characterized by the loss of melanocytes leading to depigmented patches on the skin because they are both and often associated with leukotrichia. Vitiligo significantly affects the quality of life in affected individuals, especially if you have a darker skin types. There are two major forms of the disease, such as segmental and non-segmental forms of vitiligo, and these two different forms behave differently. Segmental vitiligo generally stabilizes after progressing for some time, by non-segmental vitiligo may have an unpredictable course. As concerns the pathogenesis, several theories have been proposed, including autoimmune mechanism, oxidative stress, melanocyte adhesion defects. I think that autoimmunity is the most probable mechanism behind the disease. 
innate immune activation to signals from melanocyte stress may be the first step. Thereafter, when the innate immune cells are activated, it leads to melanocyte destruction themselves, and this will activate the adaptive immune response with the release of other inflammatory cytokines. In this adaptive immune response, probably the key players are the CD8 positive cytotoxic T cells that can be found in higher concentrations in the perilegional skin, and these cells can destroy melanocytes. As concerns the treatment, the treatment aims is to stabilize the disease first and then to cause repigmentation. Early treatment of vitiligo can never be overemphasized as arresting the disease early also renders repigmentation to be more complete and faster. Treatment options for vitiligo can be broadly classified into medical and surgical treatments. Medical treatments may either arrest the disease progression or induce repigmentation of vitiligo patches, while in some of the modalities, such as phototherapy, act on, on both mechanisms. Surgical interventions form an important but underperformed treatment modality for stable vitiligo, where medical therapy fails to cause repigmentation, rarely performed. We usually use dermatologist combination therapies. In unstable phase of the disease, the therapy with the aim to stop the progression of the disease with low-dose oral mini-pulse corticosteroids along with standard topical superpotent corticosteroids and topical carcinoid inhibitors is the option of choice. To stabilize the lesions and to stop the progression, in some patients, we can use, in addition to systemic corticosteroids, other immunosuppressive agents, such as low-dose methotrexate, azathioprine, cyclosporine, or mycophalate mofetil. Recently, JAK inhibitors were also suggested to be a useful agent to stabilize the lesion. In addition to topical corticosteroids and carcinogenic inhibitors, uh, topical bimatoprost, this is the synthetic prostaglandin F2 alpha analog, has also been shown to be effective in stable vitiligo. Topical bimatoprost can be, of course, combined with other treatments, with corticosteroids or with phototherapy, but clinical trials showed that the combination of topical bimatoprost with narrowband UVB therapy uh, resulted in a faster and greater extent of repigmentation as compared to phototherapy alone. And currently, there are other prostaglandin F2 alpha analogs in clinical uh, trials. So uh, another approach might also be to stimulate melanogenesis by acting through the melanocortin-1 receptor. That is an agent that is called alpha-melanotid, that is a potent synthetic analog of alpha-melanocytic stimulating hormone, MSH, that binds to the melanocortin-1 receptor and stimulates the melanogenesis and melanocytic proliferation. So this might be another successful agent for vitiligo therapy. What are the JAK inhibitors? The, the JAK inhibitors are actually a new class of uh, molecules. These are small molecules that modulate the cytokine-mediated signaling via the JAK-STAT pathway, which plays an important role in immune regulation and cell proliferation. 
The JAK inhibitors were previously designed actually to treat hematological diseases. However, increasing evidence shows that they are quite effective in the treatment of a number of immune-mediated skin disorders, such as in atopic eczema, alopecia areata, and vitiligo as well. We don't want to miss the chance to ask you about your pioneering work concerning introducing xenon chloride uh, examiner laser technology into the treatment of vitiligo. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the examiner laser study started in my department in 1995. Then during a morning visit, we have seen a patient, psoriatic patient, with a thick, highly therapy-resistant psoriatic plaques that did not respond to conventional treatment. That at that time, it was ditanone. We wondered how cool it would be if we could deliver high-intensity ultraviolet B light just to these therapy-resistant plaques without affecting the clinically uninvolved skin. As high-intensity UV light might be delivered using only with lasers, we contacted the Department of Laser Physics in our university and developed with them together the CO8 nanometer excimer laser therapy. We used this laser first for the treatment of psoriasis, but having seen its high efficacy and the benefit of this targeted treatment, soon after the first result in psoriasis, we started to treat vitiligo and published a few years later our results. Actually, Esther Baltash, who was the last author in this uh, previously mentioned paper in acral antigenic melanoma, was the first author on that paper. So later on, uh, much cheaper devices have been developed. That's called not a laser, but a CO8 nanometer XML lens. And these lamps uh, have the same efficacy. The huge advantage of the XML laser is that it usually doesn't lead to perilational hyperpigmentation in vitiligo due to its small spot size. And generally reduced or no hyperpigmentation would greatly benefit the result for the patient. Yeah, usually if you are using a narrow band UVB light in a cabin, uh, depigmented patches will recover with the, uh, if we are lucky actually. But however, the surrounding normal skin will be brown as well. So the difference is still there. So this, and, and usually this perilational hyperpigmentation can be seen frequently if you are treating whole body. And, and, and this cannot be seen if you are using a targeted treatment with the laser. You just treat the white patches and not the clinically uninvolved, usually brown skin. And therefore, the contrast will be less. In which other dermatological diseases has the xenon chloride laser been shown to be an effective treatment method? Yeah, as mentioned before, psoriasis was the first disease when we used the XIMA laser. This Targeted treatment is especially useful to take sick, therapy-resistant plaques. Even in the era of biologics, there are patients who are very good candidates for this therapy. Although newest biologics are really highly effective, many patients still have therapy-resistant plaques and, and elbows. And these uh, therapy-resistant plaques might be treated with the XIMR laser or with the XIMR lamp uh, nicely. Actually, I like to use high UVB dosages. Depending on the body size, I use usually four times or even six times MED. Using this high energy, 
Sometimes four treatments might result in a complete resolution of the residual region. Of course, you have to be very careful when you are using high UVB dosages to avoid severe burning. So as concerns atopic dermatitis, Excitement laser works well, we published our data on that. However, atopic dermatitis is usually a widespread disease. We rarely see therapy-resistant sick lesions. Therefore, I think that in atopic dermatitis, it is not a really good indication for this XML laser or XMLM therapy, although it works perfectly, but uh, there are very few patients who would really benefit from this kind of treatment. However, there is another disease where you can also use XML laser or XMLM. This is alopecia areata and other autoimmune-mediated disease. And there are a lot of data showing uh, the beneficial effect of XML laser or XMLM in the treatment of alopecia areata. And, and back to the uh, using the XMR laser in atopic dermatitis, what do you consider the potential drawbacks of this treatment option? Yeah, not only in atopic dermatitis, but in general in dermatology, when we are using XML laser, we have to think on that, that we can just treat targetly a few plaques or few lesions. So if you have a patient with vital disease affecting more than 10% of the body surface area, then this treatment with the XML laser is not applicable. Another problem is that uh, patients should come twice a week for the XML lamp or XML uh, laser treatment. And this is really time consuming. Although the laser treatment lasts only for a few seconds, the patient should come to the special centers where the laser or XML lamp is available, and this takes time. Actually, nowadays, in the COVID-19 pandemic, all phototherapy centers in Europe had to be closed, and it actually worldwide, the patient cannot come to the offices for this kind of treatment. Another problem might be in different countries, the reimbursement. As in many countries, the XML laser or XML lamp phototherapy treatment is not reimbursed at all. Jumping over to atopic dermatitis and psoriasis, concerning the treatment of these conditions, what do you see as some of the most important therapeutic advances and trends? Yeah, in psoriasis and in atopic dermatitis, there is a continuous increase in the use of biological therapies. In psoriasis, we have already 10 approved biologicals and many other biosimilars. And these advances enabled us to increase the therapeutic target. By previously, PASI 75 was regarded to as a gold standard in the therapeutic target. Nowadays, we are talking about PASI 90 or even PASI 100 as a realistic target in our patients. In atopic dermatitis, the biologicals are just coming. We do have already one registered drug for the treatment of uh, severe atopic dermatitis. But I can imagine that we are at the beginning in the next uh, few years, we will have a number of new biologicals for the treatment of atopic dermatitis. We will see the same process what we have seen and experienced in psoriasis and our patient with severe atopic dermatitis will have a great number of new uh, biologicals. Furthermore, in atopic dermatitis, but also in other immune-mediated skin diseases, the JAK inhibitors are coming. We were already talking about the JAK inhibitors and that can, this can be used systemically, but topically as well. And these uh, JAK inhibitors uh, is already approved, one of the JAK inhibitors is already improved, approved for the treatment of atopic eczema, 
but many others are coming and both in systemic and topical JAK inhibitors are underway in the registration and in clinical trials. We would like to congratulate you on being a recipient of one of the most prestigious awards in Hungary, the Szechenyi Prize in March. This prize is given in Hungary by the state in recognition of those who have made an outstanding contribution to academic life in Hungary. Can you tell us about what scientific discoveries led to this acknowledgement and their significance for the treatment of skin diseases? Thank you very much. Uh, I'm really very proud when I can uh, talk about the Szechenyi Prize. This is really one of the most prestigious awards in Hungary for the scientific achievement. Now I can have I have to thank my research group, the HSEM group, that is the Hungarian Center of Excellence for Molecular Medicine, that is a, a European uh, uh, project with, which supported um, uh, our research group. And this prize was delivered for both for basic research and for uh, applied research. As concerns for basic research, we could show in my research group for the first time, or at least we were among the first ones, to show that human keratinocytes express different pattern recognition receptors, toll-like receptors, and these molecules are critical in sending microbes, and we could show that activation of these receptors are responsible for the inflammatory symptoms in acne. We discovered the different P acnes, now currently you call it C acnes, that um, at that time we were talking about propionobacterium acnes, P acnes. So we discovered that different P acnes strains induce different responses in keratinocytes and sebocytes, suggesting that there are differences in the pathogenicity of the different P acnes strains. And nowadays there are clinical trials to replace inflammatory P acnes strains with less inflammatory ones. In psoriasis, our main research interest in basic research is the clinically uninvolved skin of the patient. Maybe you, not everybody knows, but the clinically uninvolved skin of the patient that looks perfectly, looks perfectly healthy, but there are a great number of differently expressed genes in this uninvolved skin. And therefore, this uninvolved skin of psoriatic patient differs from the healthy individual's uh, skin, and probably this plays a role, this, uh, this uh, differences that in the uh, patient's uninvolved skin, you can induce very easily psoriasis. So we, uh, in addition to this uh, basic research, you know, we are highly interested in, in, in translational research. You know, I'm a mainly clinician and <clears throat> it was also always my, my, my question, how to bring this research data back to the patient. Uh, and I, I think that to, to patent ideas and to patent uh, research data is very important. Mm, and we have uh, 39 patents in nine patent families. And some of these inventions are already used in the clinical practice. Among these inventions, probably the development of the external laser for psoriasis and vitiligo was the most successful one. The external laser is now worldwide used for the treatment of different skin diseases. In the US itself, more than 2 million patients have been treated with this technology to date. We have also developed a new light source and method for the treatment of allergic rhinitis. It is a little bit close to atopic dermatitis. Uh, for technology transfer, I founded a spin-off company together with the university and the technology was successfully licensed by different companies. 
And now this phototherapeutic device is already on the European and the Asian market. And recently we developed those class one medical device that increases the efficacy and decreases the side effects of ultraviolet therapy for psoriasis. This technology has also been patented and successfully licensed by uh, different companies. And this device has received the C-Mark and will be available on the European market this year. Well, those are all the questions we have for you today. We'd, we'd really like to thank you for being with us and sharing your knowledge with us. Yeah, thank you very much again for the kind invitation and see you soon. All of the research discussed today can be found in the Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venerology. Though you can find free access and open access articles, EADV members benefit greatly by having access to all articles and content. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts to make sure you get the newest episodes delivered right to you. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next episode, take care of your skin.